always involves a hug and a kiss. Not a kiss of abuse, but a kiss of blessing. There's a vast difference, says Bill Glass. A God's Father's blessing to all of his kids is it's not a, a kiss of abuse, but it is a kiss of blessing. It includes a kiss of election, a kiss of adoption, a kiss of redemption, the kiss of being God's people. And I encourage all of us to, to bear hug all those blessings that God so freely gives all of his people. Let them be with you all the days of your life. My prayer is to, for, you, for you and for myself is that God's fatherhood would be more to you than just sand in your hands. More than just lyrics in a song or poetry in a book or theology that you read about. Instead, I, I hope it would be your happy place, a restful place, comforting place, a loving place, hopeful place, a peaceful place. Embrace the fatherhood of God and all the blessings he freely gives to each of you. This morning we're going to continue looking at the content of the blessing that he freely gives us. And if you have your Bible, open it to Ephesians 1. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 14. In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Let us pray. Most gracious Father, I come and, and ask that your spirit will take the words that are preached today and apply it to all of our hearts. And as I often pray and, and as I fully believe, nothing happens apart from your spirit. I don't give preaching power. My preparation does not give preaching power. Your spirit does. He and he alone has to take the preached word and apply it to all of our hearts. I'm just a man. I can't apply the word to no one's heart. Not even my own. So Spirit, the word tells us that you are a helper. That you are a counselor. That you help us in our weakness. And we are weak today. We are in need of you to minister to our heart and soul. And I pray that you will, in Christ's name, amen. The fourth blessing of uh, God's Father's blessing here in Ephesians 1, it is the blessing of being God's people. And to, to be labeled and to be deemed the people of God is a blessing. It's a blessing that all of us should embrace and enjoy 
And the first thing we, we want to talk about is the fact that God's people are chosen. The blessing of being God's people is to be chosen. You see, in these verses 11 through 14, Paul is addressing both Jewish believers and Gentile believers who were in the church in Ephesus. And we, and, and we know that because in verse 11 he says, In him we, we. And in verse 13a he says, In him you also. The we refers to Paul and his fellow Jewish brothers. And the you refers to the Gentile believers. And in these verses, Paul addresses them separately, yet inclusively, to show that both groups, though they are culturally different, are equally chosen to be the people of God in Christ. Both groups, though they're culturally different, are equally chosen to be the people of God in Christ. He tells his Jewish brothers, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of his will, he who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The Jewish believers in the church are believers because the Lord God chose them to be believers. He chose them beforehand. You see the phrase having been predestined is a reference to God's divine work long before creation. Something that he did before Genesis 1. Something that he did before creation. It's a reference to eternity past. And so this means long before the Lord God chose the people of Israel to be his visible covenant people on earth in the Old Testament, he already chose which of them would be his invisible people as well. Think about that. Before there was a nation of Israel, the Lord God already chose which of those Jews would be Christians, which of those believers would come to saving faith in Christ. And that is what Paul is telling them here. The Jewish believers in this church, by their heritage, are part of God's visible covenant people. But it's their faith in Christ that made them part of the invisible, eternal people of God. By their faith in Christ. So the Jewish believers are the ones to first hope in Christ. Because remember, the gospel was first preached to who? It was first preached to the Jews. Then to the Gentiles. We're the Gentiles. We're not Jews. All of us here are Gentile believers. And like our Jewish brothers in, in, in the text, we too are part of God's eternal covenant people because of who we are in Christ. Not because we grew up in a Christian home. Not because we um, grew up in the Bible Belt. But it's because of faith in Christ that makes us part of God's eternal people. He is the one that engrafts us in. He brings us in. What does Paul, he, Paul tells the Jewish, the Gentile believers in verse uh, 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. They heard the gospel, and they believed the gospel, and they believed in Jesus, and they became part of God's covenant people. Jesus is the cornerstone 
of both groups, the Jewish believers as well as the Gentile believers. And he is the gate that we all must enter through to be part of God's covenant people, his eternal people. If you um, keep up with um, American politics, then you know uh, a big issue right now is um, immigration reform. That's a big issue in American politics right now, given the crisis on the border and the number of people who come into our country illegally. And the whole purpose of reform is, is to increase legal immigration and hopefully decrease illegal immigration. Likewise, many people try to Im- immigrate into God's kingdom illegally. Well, how do they do that, Alex? Good works. Following all the rules. Being a good person. Having good morals. Going to church all the time. Doing all the good things. Doing all the things they should do. And they think by doing those things, that gets them a legal pass. You see, God's immigration reform comes in the form of a person. And his name is Jesus. He's the only way immigrants like us can get into God's kingdom. He's the gate. He's the cornerstone. If you don't come through him, you will not get in. You will not get in. It's Christ alone. And when you enter through him, he grants you full citizenship automatically. You're not put on a waiting list. You don't get a temporary visa. You get full citizenship. You are part of God's kingdom now. You are his people now. So these Jewish and Christian believers in our text are equally chosen to be God's people. They are equal in God's kingdom. And so are we. Regardless of where we come from. All people who enter through Christ are God's people regardless of their nation, nationality, their race, or gender. Regardless, they are God's people. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the wall of hostility by abolishing the law or commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace, it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility he came and preached Peace to those who are far off, Gentiles, and to those, and peace to those who are near, Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Through him we have both access to the Father. This means there is no caste system amongst God's people. There is no levels of rank among them. Verse 11 says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. There's two ways to, to view the, uh, the translation of this phrase from the Greek text. One view says that it means believers have obtained an inheritance. That's one view. Then the other view, which I agree with, says that believers have been chosen to be an inheritance. You see the particular form of 
of the verb for inheritance used here is only used once, and it's used right here in this verse. And one dictionary says it's used to 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 point someone to say to show that someone is a heritage, to show that someone is someone else's private possession. It means to be appointed by lot, to be destined, to be chosen. You see, the blessing of being God's people that you are chosen by Him to be His own heritage, His own treasured possession. Do you think of yourself as that? How do you think God sees you as a believer? Do you think of yourself as God's treasured possession? His inheritance? His treasure? How do you view yourself? Let it rest upon your heart that you are God's treasured possession. If you ever read the, um, the book Animal Farm, Animal Farm, then you know the famous quote from that book says, all animals are equal, but some are equal than others. That does not apply in God's kingdom. That is a lie inside God's kingdom because we're all on the same level. The playing field is equal and the same. We share the same kingdom status regardless of our different worldly statuses. All believers in God's kingdom have the same status regardless of our status here on earth. And what is that status? We are equally God's treasure possession. You are just as much as God's treasure possession as the most famous celebrity preacher in the world. Billy Graham is God's treasure possession, and so are you. He's not more treasured than you are. We know that. Believe that. In the eyes of God, y'all are the same. The same. Both are the same. He doesn't treasure one race more than another. He doesn't treasure one country more than another. He treasures all of his people the same. He wraps all of them in his everlasting arm and he takes care of them. Just like you take care of your treasure possession, right? What is your treasure possession? What is it that you hold most dear? That's your treasure possession. Whatever it is that, that you just got to have, that you hold on to. It could be your family. It could be your wife, your spouse, your kids. It could be your stuff. We all have treasures, possessions, things that we love, things that we got to have. And when it comes to our treasure possession, do we abuse it? Do we take it for granted? No, we take care of it. And if you do that for stuff, and if you do that for the people that you care about, how much more a holy, perfect God who is much different than we are? If we do that, how much more him? Given the fact that we're created in his image. He's not created in our image. Much more. In Deuteronomy 4.20, Moses says to the people of Israel, But the Lord God takes you and brings you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance. To be a people of his own inheritance. The church New Testament believers, you are the new Israel. You are the chosen people. You are his inheritance. But do we live that way? Do we believe it? Listen to what Peter says 
in First Peter. If I can find it. Peter says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. If I survey your life, would that be true of you and how you live? You are God's people. Not talking about Sunday morning. Not talking about when you go to these small group hangouts. I'm talking about in the places where you live Monday through Saturday. Is this true? Is this reality? In the hustle books of your life, is this your reality? Is this a reflection of you? You are God's people. Do you live that way? Do you think of yourself that way? Many believers, many of us, we struggle with fear. We struggle with doubt, insecurity, rejection, loneliness, worthlessness. Because we don't see ourselves through the eyes of God. We see ourselves through the things that we go through. Instead of seeing ourselves through the eyes of God. In the eyes of God, you are his treasured possession. You are his beloved. And there are other believers who think it's spiritual to use certain language to refer to themselves. You know, I'm a nasty sinner. I'm a nobody. I'm foul. I'm this. They think it's holy to degrade themselves. They think about, I mean, the way they talk about themselves, they, 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 they talk about themselves as if they're Grinches. Now, if you ever listen to the, the lyrics of the Grinch song, you know that's not a very nice song. If you want to tell somebody you don't like how you really feel about them, just dedicate that song to them. It does it perfectly. The last line of the song says, three words that best describe you are as follow. And I quote, stink, stank, stunk. Is that how the Bible describes believers? But that's how some of you think of yourself. That's how some believers think of themselves. When God sees you, does he say, I quote, stank, stank, stunk. Is that how your father sees you? Then why would you describe yourself that way? Cannot find that in scripture. The father does not the greatest people. He doesn't see you as a bunch of Grinches. He sees you as his saints, his people, his treasured possession. That's you. That's you. To be his treasured possession means you are the apple of his eye. Deuteronomy 32, 9 and 10 says, But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, Jacob his allotted inheritance. He kept him as the apple of his eye. David says in Psalm 17, 8, keep me as the apple of your eye. Do you see yourself as the apple of God's eye? Or do you see yourself as something else? Do you? To be his treasure possession also means he delights in you. Do you know that God delights in you? 
When the last time you thought about that, that God delights in me. That he delights in me. Out of all the people in the world, he delights in me. Psalm 149 says, The Lord takes pleasure in his people. And that's you. That's you. Think about it. If parents delight in their kids as a parent, how much more holy God? If you as a parent do these things, remember, you're created in his image. He's not created in your image. Everything that you do that is good is a reflection of him. And he does it better than you. Better than me. Zephaniah 13.7 says, The Lord your God is in your midst. And he rejoices over you with gladness. And he rejoices over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love and he will exalt over you with loud singing. Wow! God's going to exalt over me in loud singing? He rejoices over me with gladness? Man, that's good stuff right there. That's a father right there. But the question always comes back is do you believe it? And what if you don't? That's what the Spirit is for. Ask Him for help. Ask Him to help you. Ask Him to minister to your heart. You are more than the sins you struggle with. You are more than the sins you struggle with. You are more than your suffering. You are more than your material possessions. Or your lack of them. You're more than your persecutions. You're more than your fears. You're more than your insecurities. You're more than your doubts. You're more than your sickness. You're more than your failures. You're more than your successes. You're more than your frustrations. You're more than your circumstances. You are chosen. You are God's people. You're his treasured possession. That is who you are. And that's who you always be. Regardless of what may befall in this world, that would never change the fact that you are God's treasure possession. That would be true of you till you go to the grave. But do you believe it? And if you don't, then that table is your reminder. Look at it. The table. The bread. The juice. It's a reminder for each of you that Christ Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. Remember what it represents, this table. It represents love. It's a reminder of the song you just sung, that his blood would never lose its power over your life, over what you go through. God demonstrates his love for you and while you were sinners, Christ died for you. For each of you. And through this meal, he will supernaturally minister to you, comfort you, remind you of his favor, assures you of his faithfulness. And if you have saving faith in Christ, then guess what? This meal is for you. You are welcome to come.
neighbors and friends if you don't have faith 